The following Taisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayat, was recorded at the Zen Center of Syracuse Hoenji in Syracuse, New York. These recordings are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Blue Rock Collection, Case 13. Hario's Snow in a Silver Bowl. Engel's Introduction. Clouds gather over the Great Plain, but the universe can still be discerned. Snow covers the flowering reeds, and it is difficult to distinguish them. Speaking of the coldness of it, it is colder than frozen snow. As for the fineness, it is finer than powdered rice. With regard to the deepness, even the Buddha's eyes cannot penetrate it, well, as for the way it is hidden, devils would be unable to spy it out. I allow you are clever enough to know three corners from one, but how would you speak to shut the mouths of the people of the world? Who has the capacity to do that? See the following. Main subject. A monk asked Haryo, What is the Daiba school? Haryo said, Snow in a silver bowl. Secho's verse. Remarkable, the old man of Shinkai Temple. It was well said, that snow in a silver bowl. The 96 can learn for themselves what it means. If they cannot, let them ask the moon in the sky. Daiba school. Daiba school. Scarlet banners flapping. The wind is cool. It hasn't rained today. <laughs> A day or two before session started, I looked at the weather forecast in the local paper, and the whole week was just 
beautiful sun with maybe a few clouds, but no rain on any of the days from Tuesday on. I was like, oh, great. This will be a first summer session without people camping out in the rain. But, you know, we walk every day past the little sign by the ramp, Welcome to the rain garden. <laughs> so maybe before next summer session, we'll take it down. <laughs> Welcome to the rainforest. There's a beautiful verse that I was remembering. It's from a koan, and also in the Blue Rock Collection, Banzan's Three worlds, no dharma. The question is, in the three worlds, there is no dharma. Where could you find the mind? And then there's this poem in response. This tune, another tune, no one understands. Yesterday's rain has passed. Leaving the pond brimming in the autumn night. I'll read it once again. This tune, another tune, no one understands. Yesterday's rain has passed, leaving the creek brimming in the summer light. This no one understands speaks to the exquisite nature of this. Which through intricate and complex logic the Daiba school was pointing to. Speaking of brimming creek, last night and this morning, I was saying to myself, what is that awful smell? No, they haven't fixed the problem yet with the creek being a sewer in heavy rains. In fact, one person said she saw her mind in the creek. <laughs> a little turd floated by. <laughs> Yesterday, I started speaking about my friend, 
in high school, Fran, and how we used to speak long into the night about what is the nature of reality and such things. Do we really exist? And just starting to look at some of what was available about Zen at that time. My friend had a boyfriend whom I admired greatly. He was, he had a certain noble presence and very intelligent. We're talking ninth grade, but already had a quality, quite rare quality. And when I was at the end of sophomore year of high school, we moved to a part of New Jersey closer to New York City. So I kind of stayed in touch with my dear friend, but those days, telephone calls were forbidden to young people. But one day, I got a phone call. It seems her boyfriend had shot and killed himself and had left a note about dying the great death of Zen. Of course, we hear such phrases and the great Shido Bunan Zenji who we chant to each evening said quite famously, while alive be a dead person, thoroughly dead, and all will be well. And we also hear, die on the cushion, right? And this is 2008, and such sayings have become perhaps better understood within a certain context. But back in 1959, 58 or 59, somehow, literal, taking non-existence to be a goal, right? This is a dangerous, yet not so rare, misunderstanding, even now. Seeing nirvana, well, you can read in books on Buddhism, what does nirvana mean? What is a very frequent translation of the word in the third noble truth? 
Usually we say cessation, right? But there's another word. Extinction. Right? Extinction. To extinguish everything. Instead of seeing into the emptiness of all forms, to take it literally as one's own extinction is what may have happened. Of course, you know, I only knew him as my best friend's boyfriend. I don't know. He may have had some psychological difficulties. Who doesn't? So anyway, getting back to part B of our philosophy class, this brilliant Kanadaiba, brilliant student of Nagarjuna, using words to strip away concepts. No different, really, from the Diamond Sutra, right? We have many wonderful passages in the Diamond Sutra. For example, yesterday we heard Sabuti. Wherever there are material characteristics, there is delusion. Wherever there is existence, there is delusion. Any form automatically qualifies as delusion, whether it's a thought form or a tangible form, abstract form, material form, right? Is there any form you can think of that isn't subject to delusion? You don't have to answer. I will continue reading. Because the next line is, but whoever understands that all characteristics, we just heard about material characteristics, right? Whoever understands that all characteristics are in fact no characteristics, sees the Tathagata. Or, you may say, sees into your own nature, his or her own nature. So, the Daiba school was probing and proving the emptiness of all phenomena through examining opposites. All right. We posit one thing, and then there's its opposite. And we do this all the time. We're caught up in the fiction of a substantial characteristic. We forget about this, are indeed no characteristics, and we see them as characteristics that, that exist, that have some permanent existence, right? Take any pair. Think of a pair of opposites. 
Hmm? Male and female. All right. And what happens when we think about male and female? Try to fit into one or the other? Try to identify with one or the other? It's problematic, isn't it? Who made those up? Who did? <laughs> you bet. You bet. Another form of fascism right there. <laughs> How about cold and heat? Another koan. Where is the place where there is no cold, where there is no heat? All these opposites were probed by the Kanada Dai Ba school in their relativity, all right? Compared to what? Compared to what? We get trapped when we get lost in the relative vista. We want it to be cooler. We want it to be warmer, right? There is such a thing as, we think, absolute Perfection, somewhere in between. That's what we think is the middle way. No, no. The middle way is the emptiness of such a relative vista. When it's completely cold, there is no shivering. There's just... There's no suffering cold. And the same with heat. We know light only because of darkness. In a relative sense, we know light because of darkness and vice versa. What is the absolute of light or the absolute of dark? This is the kind of scrutiny, this is the kind of probing that the Daiba school was known for. Everything appears out of relativity, out of dependent co-arising. This exists because of that. Does it have any independent existence? Do you? You don't. Only in relationship. Temporary form. So in a way you could say the Daiba school evolved out of the Prajnaparamita teachings of shunyata, emptiness, as a way of probing further and using logic, using debate, using argument, to refute logic, to tear it apart. To blast away the conceptual realm by using concepts. Think about water, for example, and fish. A fish, Jikyo, in water. Does the fish know water? No. There is no such thing as water to a fish. Think about a bird, Ginger. Does a bird know air? 
you might say, well, there's breeze blowing and he's coasting on the breeze, but does a bird know air? Only if the bird goes into the water to catch a fish and somehow gets caught in the water and gasping, seeking air again. This is the relative vista we all are stuck in. Does that make sense? Watch out. (laughs) So fundamentally, there is no such thing as air and water. We take, for example, several of you are going to, are in currently the class, for those who will receive the precepts in January, January session. And what is the first precept? Right, do not kill. So, from a relative vista, of course, no killing. We do not. I see big spider I call Inji. I say, please take (laughs) the spider out. Belongs outside. But from a fundamental vista, we look at the Heart Sutra. which is all from the fundamental vista. And what does it say? Nothing can increase. Nothing can decrease. How then can we speak of killing? And yet, we live on the relative plane. We must obey these ethical guidelines. And when circumstances occur, where we find unavoidably we have gone against precepts, what do we do? Do we say, well, there is no killing because there's nothing that can increase or decrease. Do we say that? What do we do? All the evil karma ever committed by me since of old. We may think we live an unblemished life this time around. Well, I know I don't, but We've had many opportunities to explore what it is to go against the precepts in every possible way. Every possible way. So these two are not separate. Fundamental, relative are not separate. Not at all. When we speak of fundamental experience, there's no concept that can do it justice, right? Someone said to me in Doksan, well, how can I express it to you if I can't explain? You're not letting me explain. 
I have to be able to explain it for you to understand it. I'm sure we have all felt this frustration. If I could just get the right explanation, I'd get passed on this koan. <laughs> what is mo? Let me explain. What is this? Let me explain. Oh, am I? Let me explain. No birth and death, and no end to birth and death. So you see, the Daiba school was not about explaining, okay? It was about thrusting us right into shunyata. Speaking of relative vista. You know, this in relation to that, what is the perspective that we have from this point of view as opposed to the perspective from that point of view, which is basically the way we live our lives, right? There's a funny story. I think it was um, Fugan who told me, but maybe it was one of you. If one of you, then just raise your hand. Decided to take a creek down on, uh, take a canoe down Onondaga Creek. No recognition yet? Okay. <laughs> Some of you know the story. It's very appropriate today after the rain. So he and someone else got in the creek. They parked their car somewhere across the street further up the creek downtown, got in the canoe, and were enjoying lovely paddling experience through this beautiful area. And then one of them said to the other, so um, let's see, where do we park? Oh yeah, that, that's the street we parked at. Now, it looks so different being in the creek. It's really hard to recognize where those places are that we could identify as where we parked the car. As a matter of fact, we don't have any clue where we are. Just then, they saw a couple of guys walking along, <laughs> young guys, somewhere in inner city here. So Fugan calls out, hey, where are we? <laughs> and the guy answers, you and the sewer. <laughs> Wonderful Zen story. <laughs> you and the sewer. There's another aspect to that, too. Very often, in our practice of zazen, 
we feel that we really are in the sewer. We really are just never going to get out. The banks are just all slippery mud, and there's no signpost anywhere, and there's no way that we can ever get out of this murky, smelly ditch. And what happens when we feel that way is, well, many things, but one primary thing is self-pity, right? Here I am, stuck in this sewer. Smells terrible. <laughs> and I'll never find my way out. This sitting is never going to end. And the worst thing is, when it does end, another one will begin. <laughs> the only time I have any good sitting is just a minute before I strike the bell for Godoksan. At that time, for some reason, I can do Mu. So this is a great insight, isn't it? If you know that's true, that means what? No one has lifted your canoe out of the ditch for you, right? No deus ex machina has come along and said, now you will have wonderful moo practice and you will be feeling so much better. No, what has happened? Yeah, you focus, and you focus, right? You, well, let's just put it that way. It's not true, but let's just put it that way. <laughs> you focus on your zazen practice. Or let's put it a different way. Because of your terror, you became one with Now, I know very, very, this is, of course, I'm just using language to be silly. I know nobody's terrified of Doksan. <laughs> I'm certainly not a terrifying teacher. But there's something, there's some anxiety there for most people, right? Some kind of like, I am going to be seen. And I've been successful in putting up... <laughs> All these masks, and now what? Maybe I'd better work on what's behind the mask for just a few seconds. James was remembering reading in Endless Fowl someone's postscript about Son Roshi saying, I'll take off my mask if you take off yours. And Yogan Senzaki's expression was taking off the wrappers. So we know we can do it. We know we can be with it, be it who we truly are for just that moment before, ching, ching, maybe there is just that one moo that actually 
lifts us out of our, this is horrible, I hate it, I can't wait to go home. Right? Because most people don't come in with that. Most people do not come in and tell me that. They may be feeling that, but they don't come in. They try their hardest before they strike that concho to lift themselves out of that. Anybody disagree? So even if the motivation is looking good, or, you know, matching the mask, or whatever the motivation is, what it tells us is we can do it. So, this is a very important thing to remember. To remember the insubstantiality of all forms that includes pain, tiredness, confusion, And our practice is very physical, right? So you find yourself, when you're feeling like this, let's all take a little nap and then I'll talk some more. wake up. We can, right? We can wake up. What do we do? Erect your spine. Breathe. Exhale. Exhale. How can you exhale without feeling tremendous gratitude? for this breath. Who said you were going to have another one? No one promised that. Just to feel this gratitude, just to sit up, open your heart to whatever it is, instead of thinking it should be otherwise, makes all the difference in the world. So you don't have to be sitting in front of the concho to feel that way. Sitting here in the zendo, no matter what, excruciating pain compared to what? This is a relative vista, okay? You may not think so, but it is. That's why you call it pain, because it's a thought form It's a temporary manifestation. It is temporary. Even if it is the pain that kills you, it is still temporary. And why not die on the cushion? Let go of all those relative vista points of view. Compared to what? Compared to the way it should be for me. What is that? It's very arrogant, isn't it? That we come into the zendo and expect to have it a certain way. We expect to have our zazen be, you know, whatever, I don't know. Lucid, 
stillness with not a single iota of discomfort, preferably, right? It's through the pain that we realize lucid stillness. Because we can't do anything about it. Therefore, we're thrust into, despite ourselves, the sound of cicadas just takes over. No more worry about your not being perfect, so San Zenji said to us on the first day. Now, I really have to finish this koan today. So we have a monk asking Hario, who was the Dharma descendant of the great Umon Zenji. Umon Zenji had many, many wonderful koans. Maybe some of you can repeat one or two. Short, they're always short, very few words. Hmm? Mm-hmm. What's another one? Masakin. What's another one? Every day is a good day. He always asked his students a question and then answered it. Every day is a good day. This day is a good day. This life is a good life. This pain is a good pain. Anyway, so this monk, probably coming from kind of uh, maybe a bias, maybe a bit of an anti-intellectual bias, thinking about the Daiba school and all of its use of logic to refute logic and all of its wordiness, typical of Indian Buddhist philosophy, many, 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 many numbers and words and points, lists. So, he asks about this. After all, he's probably well-versed in cases like that of the Diamond Sutra scholar who goes to get some little snack. Everybody knows this story, right? Somebody can even tell it, I bet. Who would like to tell the story of Toksan? with his Diamond Sutra commentaries piled in a huge sack on his back, stopping for a snack as he is traveling all around China to refute that terrible Zen school that says, no need for words. Direct experience. Direct pointing to the mind beyond and outside of words, scriptures, direct pointing. So he's out to show them wrong. And he's on his way, and he stops at a little tea shop. What happens? Well, actually, she says, What is that you're carrying around? All those are all 
So actually, all his commentaries on the Diamond Sutra. So she says, hmm, the Diamond Sutra. In the Diamond Sutra, it says, So then, with what mind will you have your snack? <laughs> and this is actually a pun in Chinese. Tenjin means snack, but it also means lighten up the mind, enlighten the mind. With what mind will you have your snack? Poor Toksan. <laughs> tail between his legs, asks, is there a Zen teacher around here? <laughs> and she does direct him to Master Yutan. So anyway, perhaps this monk is expecting that kind of reply from Master Haryo. And instead, Haryo said, snow in a silver bowl. What is the Daiba school? What is all that about anyway? Snow in a silver bowl. What does that feel like to you? Pure, reflective, cool, hmm? melting. Now, what do you think he meant? Snow in a silver bowl. Okay, think. Silver bowl has a kind of uh, color to it that's very much like what? Hmm? Hmm? Snow. So snow in a silver bowl. Hard to distinguish. And yet, different substance, right? So snow. What is the Daiba school? How does it relate to the Buddhism that we are doing, Zen? Right? How, this is the monk's question. What is the Daiba school? What kind of Buddhism is the Daiba school? Snow in a silver bowl. Is it different? Is it the same? Same? Different. Different. Yet, there's absolutely nothing but this container called Buddhism. No matter how we probe and examine, no matter what kind of language we use, still, this silver bowl 
Daiba school may seem very different, and yet, wonderful response, snow in a silver bowl. This is Hario's own way with words. He was very appreciated as a poet. He lived on a lake and many, many wonderful examples of his poetry exist. And three in particular, which I may or may not find for you, three turning words. So this is an interesting point. He was called, uh, in fact, he was called the mouthy one in Umon's assembly because he was we're always using words so remarkably and later became Umon's Dharma successor, as I said. He didn't compose any document of succession to Umon's teaching, but just these three turning words to offer to his teacher. One, some of you may know, what is the way an enlightened person falls into a well? Two, what is the sword so sharp it cuts a hair lone against it? Each branch of coral upholds the moon. So, two phrases, one question, the other response. His second turning word, saying that he is quite well known for. And the third, what is the school of Kana Deva or Daiba? Daiba in Japanese. Snow in a silver bowl. Umon said about these three, Later, on the anniversary of my death, just recite these three turning words, and you will have repaid my kindness in full. So he appreciated his students' command of words to illuminate no words wordlessness. So again, you know, it's a matter, we dwell in this relative vista and we think, well, it's either speech or silence, it's either words or no words. But what? When you use words to bring forth, that's turning word, to bring forth the ineffable, the un thinkable, the inconceivable. Diamond Sutra, we're hearing it read so well. This inconceivable, unlimited, all these words, they are just called that, right? Over and over we hear, it is just a name. It is just called that. And then more words. And then, it is just called that. It's just a name. Merely just another term given to it. 
you know, today we heard this passage. Subhuti, we can summarize the matter by saying that the full value of this teaching can neither be conceived nor estimated. There is no relative vista through which we can taste the teaching. Nor can any limit be set to it. The Tathagata has declared this teaching for the benefit of initiates of the Supreme Way. Who are these initiates of the Supreme Way? Hmm? None other than you who are sitting here. Remember the first night what I said? Throw yourself in Buddha's house. Let him initiate you. are initiates of the Supreme Way. Whoever can study it, recite it, this is what we're doing. You may think reciting the the Diamond Sutra is just another part of the ritual of session. No, 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 no. will be clearly perceived by the Tathagata and will achieve a perfection of merit beyond calculation. Unlimited. Inconceivable. This is what you're doing here. Inconceivable. That's what Master Haryo is saying snow in a silver bowl. So, or do I need to tell you? Maybe nothing. Well, you know that introduction, Engo's introduction is pretty self-evident, I think. I'll read it. Clouds gather over the great plain, but the universe can still be discerned. It's one side. Snow covers the flowering reeds, and it is difficult to distinguish them. Snow in a silver bowl can still be discerned. Difficult to distinguish. Daiba school, Buddhism. Speaking of the coldness of it, it is colder than frozen snow. As for the fineness, it is finer than powdered rice. Using degrees to indicate what? Beyond! Beyond! Inconceivable! So again, we use words in this way. Can't explain. We use words in this way. Shock. And so deep and so hidden. Same thing. All right. Inconceivable. Unlimited. 
I allow you are clever enough to know three corners from one. What does this mean? If you see one corner, if you're clever enough, you'll know what the other four are about, right? If you have a discerning eye and you hear one phrase, you get it. The rest of it all comes together. Say you're a pitcher and the bases are loaded, right? You have your eye on one likely stealer, but you also know the others. How would you speak to shut the mouths of the people of the world? What is your way of using words not to explain anything, but to liberate from this stuff that goes on in our minds all the time, right? And any language, right? <laughs> any language in the world is just completely the same. The snow in a silver bowl and the relative vista. And yeah, it's all about me, 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 me. If only I could change my circumstances, I'd be happy. Yeah, right. Shut the mouths of the people of the world. Yeah, right. That's all we need to say. Who has the capacity to do that? You, 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 you. Believe, trust in this. You have the capacity. The verse, you know, he's just saying, wow, that guy was terrific. Well said. The 96, okay. Those who don't get it, they're going to have to find out for themselves. If you don't get it, go out tonight. Look up. Scarlet banners flapping. The wind is cool. Triumph. This is your zazen. Triumph. No need to wait for Doksan. No need for Doksan. Just sitting. Having vanquished all that ego-centered, whining, and relative vista. Vanquished. Just vanquished. Once and for all. Vanquished. Then what? Breeze enters the zendo. Cicadas 